1: Sheep. Yeah. beyond Walker.
2: Good morning and welcome to another AFC Bournemouth podcast. This is Back of the Net, episode 62. My name's Sam Davis. We wouldn't usually put out a podcast today, to be fair, but we've got a lot of cherry content to fill your ears with do about you, but I'm really struggling with this particular international break, especially after Friday night's woeful performance in Prague against the Czech Republic. Hopefully they'll improve tonight in Sofia against Bulgaria. But Callum Wilson, maybe he's back from injury. Maybe he'll get some minutes. There are a lot of players for England that many fans are thinking, why on earth are you starting? Particularly in the centre of defence, Steve Cook must be thinking, what do I need to do? However, on today's episode we've got a special interview. You may have seen it already on our YouTube channel but we thought we'd put it out on the podcast as well. I'll tell you more about that very shortly after this. So, with this podcast being dedicated to Eddie Howe, it's going to be a question that surrounds the Eddie Howe era. Now, not his management era, but his playing days. Have a listen to this voice.
3: Uh, well, it wasn't a tough decision, really. I mean, it was. Um, I was coming towards the end of my career, you know, I was 35. Um, I was thinking to myself, you know, what I'm going to do now? Because I'm. Up
4: for retirement, may sound a bit funny, but <laughs> at 35 you get to retire at 35. Yeah. You know, you get you get you get your pension at 35. Um, so it, it was a
5: decision that for me that I could have been one of a million coaches um, in England. So for, for me to come into a different country um, and with the skills and the background that I've had, you know, to come and bring it over here, it was it was it was you know something new for me, uh, a new challenge and something I've I've got my teeth into and um, I've been in nine months now and, you know, I'm loving it. Mm, Now there's some
2: information I could provide you about the position of this particular AFC Bournemouth player and lots more besides, including the amount of goals he scored and his appearances. However, hopefully from that voice, you might have guessed which player it is. No clues, no nothing. Simply, who is that? The answer is later on in the show. So, yeah, this is called Eddie Had a Dream, because that's what we're talking about today. I have been lucky enough to speak to Peter Bell, who is the author of the Cherry Chimes website, and he's also been writing a book about our special one. Of course, ever so recently, only a couple of days ago, it was seven years to the exact day that Eddie and JT returned to conclude the business that they'd started before they left to Burnley, i.e. see AFC Bournemouth rise up through the leagues. He got us promotion from League 2 to League 1, took us to the very edge of the playoffs, but then he went. We didn't go up. All sorts was going on at Dean Court in the meantime. Eddie Mitchell was causing a stir, but it didn't quite work out for Eddie. And then he came back and well, we're not going to look back after that. In a brand new book penned by Peter, who is a seasoned Cherries fan, he goes over the career of Eddie Howe, talks about his playing days, and well, just relives some incredible memories. And good, we'll you, First and foremost, Peter, how's it going?
3: Hi Sam, nice to hear from you. Thank you very much for uh, inviting me on back of the net.
2: Absolutely, no problem at all. How are you? How are you coping this international break? Isn't it? it isn't it horrible? <laughs>
3: <laughs> it's not so good without the football, but I've got a lot of things on. I suppose with the book launch, so I'm um, I'm pretty busy at the moment.
2: Yeah, super. Well, we'll certainly um, we'll certainly chat about that. So many people may know you online on Twitter and various forums as the author of Cherry Chimes, the AFC Bournemouth website. That's that blogs all the time about all things cherries. Um, but can you tell me a little bit about yourself and how you got to support AC Bournemouth?
3: Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, back in the... Uh, I'm a bit older than I like to like to say, but um, back in the <laughs> 80s, I suppose I started really following. I mean, I knew about Ted McDougall in the 70s, players like that. You can't not when you live in Bournemouth. But um, uh, probably, I suppose, um, David Webb was the first manager team that I went to see, and um, then Harry Redknapp's. Um, and obviously, I got a bit of a bug there because Harry did exceptionally well.
2: Yeah.
3: Um, and uh, I, I suppose when in the in the sort of when it got towards the 90s, I then then uh, went to university, kind of left football for a bit, and uh, had some children, grew up, didn't yeah. really get get to come back um, to see Bournemouth. But um, then back in about 2008, when Eddie Howe sort of took over, I, I kind of got very interested again and um, came down, started starting watching games again. So it's yeah. it's been a bit of an on-off uh, sort of love affair, but um, I've been uh, a rather rather sport, I would say, the last decade.
2: Yeah, well, that's right. I mean, you must have thought that Harry Redknapp was the peak of where we could get to, but the last sort of uh, seven or eight years have changed that somewhat. But as a um, as a regular reader of your website, Peter, um, you seem to I don't know you seem to hit the right spot in remembering the history of the club, but also sort of asking the right questions about what's going on on the pitch and why the club isn't maybe performing sort of every so often. But, um, you know, despite that, do you still have to sort of pinch yourself in terms of where we're at?
3: Uh, I guess so, in a way. I'm, I'm kind of a bit... I don't know, recently, I've been a bit more worried about that um, some of the fans sort of like are getting a bit um, blasé about us being in the Premier League and as if, you know, it's a normal thing sort of thing. Um, because every year we stay up, I think, is quite exceptional, really. Um and I think the rise to the Premier League was really quick. And um, I think it, it the reason as well, one of the reasons why I wrote the book was because I wanted to kind of reflect on, you know, how, how quick it has been and um, the kind of um, normality. This is not maybe normality, even though we think it is now. Um, and I think, um, you know, the last manager at Bournemouth before uh, Eddie Howe was Paul Groves. Mm. And we know how, how well that didn't go, if you know <laughs> what I mean. So... I, I think, you know, sometimes it's quite good to reflect on, on quite, we take maybe Eddie a little bit for granted and Jason, because um, he's a management team. And, and um, the book talks about that and also about um, some of how, uh, I think, um, Eddie Eddie uh, got experience from being at Burnley and things like that. And um, I think the last 10 years have just been phenomenal. And um, it's been a lot, i say the book as well, as uh, we will go on to, is a lot mm. easier to write in the last you know, since the minus seventeen season, then it was. I've done twenty-five years, so the seasons before that are very historic, very, very hard. The match reports were not so easy to do because yeah. um, they weren't very favourable most of the time, and there was financial problems as well. So, so we we are we are very lucky to be where we are.
2: Yeah, I agree. So, in terms of your book, obviously, you know, you talk about the rise of AFC Bournemouth since Eddie Howe came back. In fact, it's seven years to the day, this (laughs) very day, that him and JT returned. Fantastic. And isn't that amazing? Um, You couldn't have timed it any better, to be honest.
3: I can't say I meant it on purpose.
2: So in terms of the, you know, Eddie's early years and, you know, can you tell me a little about that in terms of what you mention in the book? Because obviously a lot of people, uh, you know, maybe sort of Johnny-come-lately football fans only know Eddie Howe (laughs) as the manager rather than the footballer.
3: Yeah, I could be a bit like that as well myself, I suppose, didn't I? because I missed a lot of the games when Eddie was playing. Um, Yeah, I I I mean, I focus very much on, uh, I wanted to sort of work out how, you know, a player from the lower leagues who, who maybe didn't get to the very top tier, he got to I think level league one with Portsmouth and he did only play two games there. Yeah. Um and um I wanted to say how, how come a youth team coach as he was could take Bournemouth um, you know, from a, a league to 90, 91st, I think we were in the league, mm-hmm. you know, to promotions and, and eventually to Premier League. And looking at his player career, you you kind of get some aspect of what he did. Um in those early years, when he when he was captain for the team, um, and some of his his, his uh, comments there are very um, revealing in in, mm. in his mentality uh, and and the kind of person he was. Um, he he wasn't the biggest defender, you know. He, he had to scrap a great, you know. I mean, you think like Steve, someone like Steve Fletcher, the, you know, trying to score goals again. I know he wasn't, but he's on our team. But, mm. You know, all these six foot and He was only, I think, he's five mm. foot seven or something like yeah. that. Um, You know, he had to rely on his ability and his jumping and and things like this to win headers. And um, obviously when he got injured, those those sort of things, you know, became a problem to him. And uh, his his, his playing career is is quite sad, actually, I think, um, Mm. because he had a lot of talent um, and, um, you know, he was on the verge of maybe getting some under 21. He did did get some under 21 call-ups. He got to the Long tournament and, uh, things were just happening to him when he was going to Portsmouth and then, um, it all went very wrong. Um, so, so those early years I I found, um, quite inspiring just to hear some of his, his match comments about when he was captain. And he also, he was captain when, uh, we had the new ground, and he and he led the team out there, which yeah. was um, something he got over Steve Fletcher because he was going to be the captain at the time. So, so that was yeah. quite interesting as well to read about that again.
2: Yeah, I I always remember his partnership with the Incox at the back. Um, they were absolutely solid. And he scored a yeah a few goals for both. I remember one in the the winning penalty against Blackburn in the League <laughs> Cup. Yeah. Um, I remember that. I think I can't remember what the full time score was. It three all or something, and then it went to so, penalties, yeah. yep. and then um. West Brom in the FA Cup at home, he scored the solitary goal there uh, to put us into the next round. And you know, West Brom were you know were a decent you know top flight, maybe top yeah. flight or maybe second tier team at the time. So yeah, I'll I'll always remember that. So um, yeah, whilst he maybe um, yeah you know like you say, it was a shame his playing career was cut short. But then obviously he was given the opportunity to manage AFC Bournemouth. Um, <laughs> did you honestly expect him to be anything other than a sort of run of the mill manager that will just help us to tread water like all the others?
3: <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I thought it was um, when, when he was first appointed, I was shocked because he was what, thir- uh, 31, yeah, 29 when he finished playing, 31 when he became the manager. And, and all his experience was really learning off. Um, I mean, the, the, this is the other thing is that he learned from people like Sean O'Driscoll yeah. and uh, Kevin Bond, um, who, was a, who was the manager at the time when, when, um, uh, when he became the youth coach. Um and, and you know in that sort of eighteen months from hanging up his boots, or whatever, all of a sudden he was going to become the the Bournemouth manager. So um, you know you think like the people that had come before him and they hadn't managed to make Bournemouth a success. What what was this young lad going to do? You know he yeah. you games for us. But um, obviously um he was loved by the by the by the fans because of the you know they brought him back from from Portsmouth as a player and with the player share thing and uh, uh we just hoped it went would go well for him. But um he was. <laughs> Nobody, I don't think. I mean, Adam Murray must have been fantastic. His oh, insight wow. to know how how good um, Eddie could possibly be, but um, he obviously has a way with people and in, in mm. te- you know a very good teacher um, and and gets the best out of people. A very good motivator. And um, for, for for the fans, I guess um, we'd seen it a little bit as a, when he was a captain, you know, and the way he motivated the team and in his some of his program notes. But I don't think we really knew how how good he was until that first season and to keep us up and um some of his quotes around that time are really inspiring just just to read them again hopefully people will read them again in the book and see some of that
2: yeah that's that's going to be really interesting actually um to read because with the power of hindsight you can look back and think you know what a learned quote that he he made it's not like he's just you know reeling out cliches so was that the point where you thought and realized how said we've got a special manager here when he saved us from you know going down and then well basically got us promoted the following season.
3: Yeah, ab- absolutely. I mean uh I mean, the, the thing is about Eddie, I also found a little bit more about his character as well. He's, he's quite humorous as well. Mm. Um, and I think maybe that's lost to us today in his Premier League when he talks. He doesn't always come out, you know, he has to be a little bit more refined mm-hmm. and thing. But in some of his earlier years, I mean, he he, he came out with some really good cards. I've got one here. I'll read it out. Um, yeah. This is just when, when um, this was before he was made of manager. He was the youth team coach. And um, they were asking him, you know, what would it feel like if you, you know, eventually could become manager of the club? And um, so here we go. He says, yeah, wasn't ruling himself out of rising to the challenge one day. And he knew it would be uh, not be an easy job to do, but you can tell that he liked the prospect. Um, with, a re- with the humour of his replies to any such suggestions. I've seen how Kevin works, Mr. Kevin Bond, works behind the scenes, and so far it hasn't put me off. I know uh, what will be required, but it's another thing going out there and doing it. it it's a big workload being a manager, and uh, it's a very hard job to do properly. But I'm told it's a lot better if you win on Saturday. <laughs> uh, <laughs>
2: That's very so good.
3: Those, those short things, I think, you know, are, are great, and... Uh, I'd love to hear more of them say that today. He probably does to the players, but we don't always hear it as fans.
2: Yeah, one of the um, sort of attributes of Eddie that I've always admired seems to be his humility. Um, but he, he's also ridiculously driven. And in most interviews, um, you hear, of, you know, obviously maybe post match um, you know, in not so much of a good mood once we've lost. But then you see these kind of interviews that he does, you know, off the cuff with, you know, with different sort of media organisations where they're obviously looking back at his recent times with AC Bournemouth, and he seems to be very humble. Would you say that's a fair assessment of his character?
3: absolutely i mean uh, i think there's um different different aspects of his character i think he's so articulate anyway in front of the cameras yeah. we're really lucky to have a manager like that who can express himself so well um and uh i th- i think he um he just likes to be honest um you know if we if we play badly <laughs> he kind of like you can see how how disappointed he is mm. um because he he kind of takes the disappointment personally as if it's his his re- his fault that the players haven't performed that day and uh, I think that is, you know, a quality that not many managers have. Most of them probably just read the rule books, their players come, you know, shattering and blinding and, and whatever. But he 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 tries to leave nothing unturned in his preparation and yeah. and I think um because of that that side to him, I think um he is uh you know a little bit more um how can we say, um, not boastful of when we do well. He just tries to keep everything a level playing field and um Yeah, it's a great, great asset to have. I wish I was like that. I kind of like to take the plaudits when people give them to me, and uh, (laughs) when they they don't, I get quite upset. When I get,
2: (laughs) I um, I notice when uh, sort of you know, good things happen to the club in terms of you know, good results or um, you know, positive news about the training ground. When Eddie is the person that speaks to the media, he says it's you know, it's great, um, you know, for everyone at the football club and everyone connected to the football club. He always seems to bring out that phrase, um, uh, you know sort of going back to what you previously said um do you think he himself knows how crucial he is to the success of the club because i could imagine that he he thinks he's just one of a you know a big team which of course he is because everyone's you know contributed in their own way but a little part of me must think surely he knows that without him none of this would have probably happened
3: yeah i i think so um I mean, but I think it is also important to remember it is a a management team. Jason Tindall hardly gets any um, sort of like praise or or talk about what he's doing, but um, I'm sure he has a a massive influence on Eddie. um, And together as as a team, I think they they obviously complement each other really well. Um, I I think, um, I would hope Eddie knows how much he's liked and adored by the fans for what he's done. I, I think he can't not know that you know if he were to leave Bournemouth then he would want to leave it in very safe hands and, and I think part of him when he came back from Burnley was sort of like you know we were 21st in the uh, first division we were doing badly and um, it was kind of his legacy that was going to be almost you know ripped to pieces if we'd gone down again hmm. and uh, and I think that was probably one of the motivations for him coming back he he didn't want to see after all the work that, to get us up that far that the club just slipped back again and um i think you can see in some of the players that um he improved under him you've got like brett Pittman um you know in the, in the championship when he scored that goal yes. against fulham um oh. you know from the halfway line running past so many players and slotting it in i mean you know in in league two i couldn't imagine uh, brett doing something like that you know he was a he was a great finisher around the box six yard you know he'd knock anything in um anything in the box um but to score a goal like that and change yeah. the way he played i think that shows you how much of an influence eddie eddie can do and, and players like harry arter um mm. you know his his metal and his energy that he, he gave to the team from an only player at woking you know um the way he transformed him it upsets me now that he's not playing for us still but um you know, I I think that kind of the fans can see that he's had a massive influence on on not only the club as a whole, building the you know helping building the infrastructure and things like that, and the vision for where the club could get to. But it's it's that precision in the players that I think particularly make Eddie a special manager the way he can see something in a player and and transform him change him i mean even um josh king is is now back on the wing as he as he was um when when eddie first saw him from blackburn um but he he made him into a very good center forward and and you know he he can use people in different ways and he's very good at getting the best out of people and I, i think he he must know how that he's special in that regard
2: yeah um yeah and you know you mentioned brett pittman there i remember um uh, hearing Brett Pittman say about Eddie that he just told him to turn and run, and uh, <laughs> he he obviously took that one against Fulham. In fact, in the next game against Blackpool, he did the same. We won four 0 Brett yeah, Pittman yeah. scored the perfect hat trick, yet yeah. yeah, right foot, left foot header, and um, his first goal was where it was from the halfway line again. He turned, you know, and he went through the team uh, yeah. like a sort of hot knife through butter and scored a goal. So, uh, whilst Eddie's been in charge, we've there have been numerous milestones and various victories that. Uh, We managed to get under our belt against, you know, big teams, Liverpool, Arsenal, Chelsea, etc. But also Southampton. And they've always been looked at, you know, looked up to by the local media, much to the detriment of AFC Bournemouth. And in one of your first paragraphs of the book, you mention Southampton. Um, Do you feel there's maybe a little momentum shift going on at the moment?
3: Well, I think after uh, our result last, uh, <laughs> last few weeks, um, <laughs> obviously it's been um, been good to see. But, I mean, the last couple of seasons we finished above uh, Southampton, it was a historic win to get a, a win uh, finally at their Grand St Mary's. And um, uh, it's long overdue. And I think we, as a club, we probably need those sort of um, landmarks if we're gonna build up a rivalry with them. I mean, I think there is a bit of a rivalry already, right? mm. even though Saints hate, I hate <laughs> it. Um, it's not a rivalry, though, so.
2: do
1: you do you
3: remember when um when uh, we got promoted to, to um League, League One it would have been? Um and before um Eddie went to Burnley, there was some interest from Southampton. I can yeah. read you a little bit about that. Oh quickly. yes, yeah, yes. Only a little bit. Um and uh <laughs> we even there you there's there's a, there's a definite like um, feeling that you know we, we were pleased to keep hold of him rather than letting them have him, you know, for all the clubs. Yes, yeah. So um, you know, we've got the clubs were lining up soon, lining up for uh, for Howe one after another. Southampton looked an obvious option, as they had uh, made a slow start in League One and needed to catch up fast. They came forward with uh, a pitch for Eddie, and AFC Bournemouth fans feared the worst. Would Eddie Howe? walk away from success, the success he had achieved at AFC Bournemouth. Did the last 18 months mean nothing? This is after the minus 17 season, mm. the promotion. Um, uh, had Bournemouth success come at a price? And would that mean losing Eddie and JT to that lot up the road? A little, little did, uh, seemed fair. Um, so imagine our jubilation when we heard the following news from AFC Bournemouth chairman Eddie Mitchell we're very pleased that Eddie has decided to stay at Bournemouth. He's made up his mind. He's staying. Whether they, this is Southampton, come back or not, it's a great achievement for the club to hold on to such a good manager. Uh, and I think, you know, there's even though we, we um, talk like a lot of them being neighbours and that, we are the only club in Dorset and, and um, I think we should be proud of that and if we want a rivalry with Southampton, whether they want it or not, we, we should be able to have one, you know, whether they like it or not. Um, and I I don't think there's any problem in that. And I think um, the more success we have in the Premier League, I think eventually it will happen. Um, that's if, of course, Southampton managed to stay there as well. Yeah,
2: well, that, that's it. <laughs> well, whilst he didn't join Southampton uh, at a later date, he, he did join Burnley. And that's also documented in the book with its own, you know, dedicated chapter. And some people sort of, I noticed when the media talk about it, they tend to sort of gloss over the Burnley uh, time and they just sort of mention he was there since the start and they do not really mention it much. But what were your thoughts around that time when when he left for Turf Moor?
3: I was absolutely gutted. I was one of those probably crying my eyes out (laughs) to see him go. (laughs) Because I thought after the minus 17 season, I I thought we had something special with Eddie and the way the team were working. um, I mean, some of the football was outstanding even in those days um with the overlapping fullbacks and that and um it was something different to see. Um I hadn't seen some of that for a long time. Um, and I even though I th- I thought Lee Bradbury was um a good choice because it was continuity with Steve Fletcher there as well. Um and they had um they had a good shot. They had several um uh, players were bought for them and I think the you know to, while we were losing steam we, we managed to get to the to didn't we to to the um uh, playoffs against Huddersfield. And, yeah, that's right. You know, it was, and even Eddie went to the second match there, mm. and that's in a really exciting part of the book. I really enjoyed writing that. But actually, when some of the time, actually when Eddie wasn't at the club, some of the most dramatic mm. turmoil mainly because of uh, probably Eddie Mitchell being there, um, but um, yeah. and Paul Groves and, and things that had. But I mean, it was important that for Eddie that he did go and and see whether he could be ambitious and and do one at another club. Um, he didn't quite work out at Burnley, although I don't think he was that far away from getting it to work at Burnley. Uh, he, had, he inherited a lot of problems. You know, a Premier League side had come down to the Championship. It was his first time managing in the Championship himself. So there was a lot to take on from that point of view. He had very good players, but maybe players who thought, you know, we should be playing at a higher level. Um, and and he had to let some of the some of them go and, and bring in new players, young players as well. Some of them, unfortunately, were Bournemouth players like Marvin Bartley. Mm um so that hit us as well so you know at the time it wasn't all easy for Lee Bradbury just to take over he, he was going to lose he also lost um Danny Ings after his he played so well um against Huddersfield and that um you know uh, and there were some others as well I think we lost a goalkeeper as well I think and uh uh I think the the time at Burnley was very important for Freddie because he learnt so much mm. because he played with he had he had better players to manage and um I think the the teams he was playing against would have taught him a lot. You know, the Nottingham Forest, Leeds United, he he would have brought that back to Bournemouth when he came back. And uh, you know, we, we flew, didn't we through Leeds? Mm, yeah, bottom. we were right down the bottom, and uh, he just went on a winning run, and and the players just took to him immediately. Some of those, obviously, i seen him before, and uh, like um, Harry Archer and Mopu, you know, um, they, they were. Uh, knew knew what he was like, but many of them were, were new. And bringing in players like um, Tommy Elphick and um, Steve Cook, you know, we just went on a great, great run, really, didn't we?
2: Yeah, that's right. I mean, it, whilst that time at Burnley, I think, may not have been considered a success in terms of you Know maybe Burnley fans. I think he did sign, as you say, a number of players that you know that were there when they were starting to rise up, um, Mm. you know, from League One to the Championship, etc. Um, yeah, yeah, that's right. Actually, his best scorer, yeah, did he also sign
3: Charlie Austin?
2: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, um, yeah, very interesting time. Well, from you know, from what I've heard, this book sounds incredible so I appreciate all the hard work that's gone into this it it really does sound good and I have to say I certainly recommend any Cherries fan should be getting their hands on this book when it comes out it's in digital and paperback formats and it's an amazing trip down memory lane um what other things can people uh, look forward to in the book any other little nuggets
3: yeah I mean uh I haven't I haven't purposely I haven't um gone interviewed the players themselves I thought Neil uh, Meldrum did it very well in his book um, that's The Fall and Rise of AFC Bournemouth. Um, I thought that was great. I was kind of um, asked by a publisher whether I would do something on on AFC Bournemouth a few years ago, 2013, and they wanted me to write almost a 100-year sort of uh, and I thought, well, oh, you know, that's quite hard, and it's been kind of done. Um, uh, Kevin Nash did a great book, 100 um, Years on the Cherries, and I just wanted to really focus on something that I felt would be, um, you know, a value to the Bournemouth fans. Yeah. Um, I... I obviously, centered on Eddie eventually after looking at some things that I could do. Um, and the 25 years I think it was a nice little time to reflect on what, what's happened. So, it's very much a cloud, it's not only a biography of Eddie, it's also about the club, uh, what we've done over 25 years, um, and in that, even though I would have loved, I did try and get the club to do, I really wanted Jason Tindall to do the forward, but unfortunately mm. I couldn't get him to do it. Oh. Um, I did I did approach Eddie and, and some others as well, but the club's been very helpful. Neil v- Vacher, um, he uh, helped me with a few early drafts and gave me some indicators of what I could do, what, what wouldn't be advisable. Yeah, and, okay. um you know, so so the club hasn't exactly ignored me, and and they're they're you know they're trying to keep Bournemouth in the Premier League and do other things. Yes, of um, They would already done, as I say, a book with Neil Meldrum and and that. And I felt, okay, let's do this from a slightly different point of view. So you might not get gems, as in you know, oh, I have never knew that before about Bay. But Ooh. hopefully, I've captured some of the emotion, yeah, and, and some of the the feelings. You know, like when when we went to Charlton, I've got a bit on there, that feeling. I can read you a little bit on that if you like. Um. We um that moment when uh, um there was commotion in the crowd and and sort oh, of like, wow. something was going on at, at Watford and we didn't know what it was. And suddenly there was this rumble in the the crowd. Suddenly the 1-1, one, one, is, is it really 1-1? One, one? Is somebody score? Yeah. It was late on in the game. It was only about eight minutes left of our game against Charlton. We were winning That's that right. quite happily. We were just trying to get them to score another couple of goals so we could get to 100 goals in the season, thinking that the title was going cool. to be Watford. So when it happened, it was just such a, a different feeling from um maybe the, the season before when we got promotion no two seasons before we got promotion uh second behind Doncaster at Tranmere you know it, it was kind of like a, we weren't allowed to celebrate that almost yeah Tranmere. that's right you know and it, we had a bus tour and that but it was kind of like an empty you know we were second when we could have won it you know we only got a draw at Tranmere and and this was like everything came came together in one day and it was just like I was so pleased because i I'd put a bet on Bournemouth at the start of the season. Oh wow! To be the champions, and and I thought, like, oh well, that's blown, has not it? What's going to do it? And uh, everybody got to say, I was well in the muddy as well. I'm sure a lot of us were.
2: Yeah.
3: Uh, it was a, it was a fantastic day, and and the Charlton fans made it as well because yeah, they did. They they, they were really, you know, a lot of them stayed behind to see the presentation, and you can see uh, how chuffed um, Jeff was, um, uh, Jeff Mostyn, bringing the trophy out to give to the players and that. And it was, it was also unrehearsed and just, mm. I know it was just, um, just a fantastic occasion to be there and see that it was a shame. It wasn't in front of our own fans, but mm. we also had a great day when, um, when we, when we knew we were going to get promoted against, but unless we had lost a 19 goal swing, I think it was or something like that. Mm. So that day was also a special night and that's very much covered in the book as well. Oh, so I'm, I'm hoping, hoping people can take inspiration from some of those days again. And, um, And also 15% of the the book, I must say, goes uh, to uh, Julia's house, um, Children's Hospice, which uh, Eddie Howe is patron of. So I wanted to do that as well, because none of the other books that I know of are given a little bit back to charity as well. I wanted to do that for the community. Um, And uh, I just hope that, you know, a few Bournemouth fans get get the book in their Christmas stockings or or whatever. Um, I've done it as a self-publishing book. Um, I, I didn't say much about my background. I'm... I'm a publishing editor, um, for, for a magazine. I work in the cement industry, which is very far removed from football, but, um, I do work with text and, uh, things like that. And I thought, well, it's a chance for me to do something. My two loves Bournemouth and journalism together. So, so for me, uh, uh, it it was interesting for me to do a book completely by myself without a publisher as well. Mm Um, which is very difficult. I found out. And, uh. Maybe maybe I should think think twice about going on such a project. <laughs> yeah. Um hopefully people feel the benefit from it because while while um the book uh is retailing for the paperback will be $13.49. I wanted to make it as cheap as possible, to be honest. Um I'm not really looking to make any money out of it myself. I well, know I won't. I'll probably it'll probably be an expense to me actually, by the amount of things that I will give away in free books and things like this. And hopefully I can give some for the back of the net readers. Nice. Um and um uh, I think the ebook is interesting as well because it gives you the digital you can read through but you can also click on the links and it will go directly to cherry Chimes. Oh, nice. So um you don't get that in the paperback you'll have to do the, all the manual hard work doing that but I think the 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 color pictures as well are obviously on the digital format unless you're reading Kindle but if you've watched look at a PC or a, a tablet you'll get that color experience as well so um there's a lot of things with the tablet which are and that's, it's cheaper as well it's 9.99 um so I wanted to give you know people a chance to get it a little bit cheaper if they wanted it to I know a lot of people like me I'm fuddies. we like to have something physical something to put on the bookshelf so there will be a paperback in as well and that should be out on the 21st of October well, that's when I'm releasing it it's, it's up to Amazon they could release it within 72 hours of that oh, okay. so it could be the 23rd but hopefully it comes out on the 21st but it will take you when you order it, it will take you a couple of days before that comes because it's an instant print thing it's not already manufactured they have to do it to order the the digital one will come straight to you within seconds
2: Okay, and uh, in terms of the digital copy, when can people get a copy of that? Is that the same That's date? Monday, or is that the That is on Monday. So what we'll do, we'll pop the link in the description of this video so you can download it, and I certainly recommend you do. And I can't wait to get my hands on a copy. And, uh, yeah, as you say, it sounds like an ideal Christmas stocking filler. <laughs> Peter, thank you so much for coming on today.
3: No trouble. It's a very, very uh, good. This is an exclusive for you because you're the first um, broadcaster I spoke to about the book and uh, you've beaten some other very big names. So uh, oh, thank you wow, very much bad. for the invitation.
2: No problem at all. And do remember also to check out Peter's website. There's actually um, a link to the Eddie Had a Dream book on Cherry Chimes. Uh, I'll pop that link in the description too. So yeah, Peter, thank you once again. And uh, hopefully we'll get through this next seven days of No AFC Bournemouth (laughs) unscathed. But no doubt, uh, I'll see you at Norwich.
3: Yeah, and very best of uh, luck for the podcast for the rest of the season. It's a great service you do. So thank you very much for all the Bournemouth fans.
1: Hi, this is The Biggin, Steve Fletcher, and
2: you're listening to back of the net. Uh, It was great to speak to Peter Bell there and you may have already caught this on our YouTube channel but I just thought for any people who listen to the podcast that don't subscribe hopefully you'll get that book because it looks phenomenal and it is out today. So when Peter was talking about Charlton, Bolton, all that kind of stuff. I thought, oh my goodness, I really want to relive those memories, albeit in an audio format. So that's what I did, trawled back through the podcasts and I'm going to share with you 10 or 11 minutes of audio now that hopefully will bring back some amazing memories as we all thank Eddie Howe for his service at the club. I'm talking like he's going. He's here to stay, lads, don't worry. But listen to this. This sums up the end of our promotion season to the Premier League. Stay tuned to Back of the Net, though, because we're going to be hearing from Jeff and also from Michael, the Back of the Net regulars, talking about their thoughts about Eddie Howe. But let's go back a bit. So, with Bournemouth playing on the Monday night live on Sky against Bolton, on the Saturday, Middlesbrough and Norwich both dropped points. Sending the keeper up probably wasn't the best idea, eh, Karanka? Fulham scored a last-minute goal, Ross McCormack made it 4-3, and this paved the way for Bournemouth to be potentially promoted on the Monday night. So... 11,000 people packed into Dean Court. It's 7.45pm. The atmosphere was bubbling with fervour. And for the first 37 minutes, Bournemouth were knocking on Bolton's door. We had a few scares where Adam LaFondra had a header, but thankfully Boric was on call to save it. And we had chance after chance, but the Bolton keeper Bogdan just kept us at bay. Until, on 38 minutes, this happened.
1: Ritchie. beyond Pew! Pew! That'll do it! That will do it! Pew for Bournemouth. Four thousand pounds is what Harry Harry Archer costs. <laughs> you know, four thousand a day of the century. Yeah. Here comes a cross and a chance at the back post from Mark Pugh for Bournemouth. Joe score! foot in the top flight. Well, wow. Kermigan has peeled out wide. Down the right side of the box. Richie has it with some great skill. Richie's ball in. At the back post, Pew with a chance to control. Can he get a shot away? Pugh's left footer, Mark Pugh! It's the first step towards the Premier League as Mark Pugh smashes it into the top left corner. A magnificent finish. And Dean Court goes wild! And the Cherries are a step closer to the dream. Bournemouth one, Golden Nil.
2: And what a goal that was! Alice Curtis tweeted, Pew, that'll do it! Matt Sturgeon said, Having my glasses squashed into my face and smacking my teeth onto someone's head when Pew scored. Hashtag one year on. And then Kerry Payton said, Pew for Bournemouth. Hashtag best night ever. And it wasn't long before we were all celebrating again.
1: Awesome. Ritchie! They're turning on the style of now, Portman! Matt Ritchie with a really classy goal! Well, oh, this is absolutely magnificent. He the line. Wilson left-hand side. It just breaks from the left-hand side. Wilson into the box. Bit of space in the back post. good for Richie, yeah. Two-nil! Yeah. The Jerry's to rush. Men in red and black chase around, and again they can smell it, they can feel it, they can nearly touch it. Bournemouth heading for the Premier League. They lead Bolton two 0 Into the penalty area, needs to check his run. Gives a good cross into the penalty area. Missing. for the gold and the riches of the Premier
2: League. We did really turn on the style, didn't we? And thankfully, it was all wrapped up in the second half.
1: Four more of those tricks from his locker. Runs into the defender, then plays a lovely ball to Daniels. Pulls it back, Wilson trying to spin. Wilson! There it is! Callum Wilson, fittingly, the Terries' top scorer. Eddie's army are going barbie. They're going to the Premier League. Here is a pullback to Wilson. Great turn, brilliant goal!
2: So, final score, Bournemouth 3, Bolton 0 and Robbie Sargent. Korsakoff on Twitter, he had to park his car about two miles away from the ground, but I bet he was pleased he got there. Raffi on Twitter said, Best game I've ever been to and probably will ever go to. Nick Christopher tweeted, Remembering my daughter telling me I was embarrassing her as I had tears in my eyes after Richie had just made it 2-0. Kevin Anderson said, The feeling that the South Stand was going to collapse due to the epic amount of people jumping. John Flanagan said, loving the one year on trend. Unbelievable that night. So nervous all day. Prosecco when I was back home. And then Hey, it's Nat on Twitter said, oh my God. Can't believe it's been a year since we were promoted. Still remember every minute of that match. Aaron Waldron, crying with pride and then crying with laughter after this. Legendary moment. Harry Coburn said, the realisation of where we have come from and the confidence we showed against Bolton and still today. Hashtag proud. Mr O tweeted, I was tearing up at how completely drunk out of his skull Maxim was. They'd have chucked him out in the East stand. And Red and Black 68 were standing in the North Stand, staring out forever after the final whistle, speechless and emotional. And it wasn't just the Bournemouth fans that were pleased. There were people calling up Radio 5 Live, even a scouser who supports Liverpool who said he was so proud of the boys.
0: But to see a club like Bournemouth what they've done Wofford was the same 4th, 3rd, 2nd, 1st and finished runners-up to Liverpool and sitting here I'm 70 now and this has done my heart good to listen to this commentary and what a wonderful little football club and when they say little you know what I mean a family yes. club and what a wonderful performance Eddie Howe has done and well done to all those Bournemouth fans when they were 15 points adrift 6 years ago and they stuck by them, travelling to the likes of Carlisle. They're the true supporters, and I'm so pleased. I came to my first game when I was a little boy. My dad took me seven years old in 1964. So I've been waiting for this game this night for 51 years. Wow. Where do I start? Um, The man is an inspiration, an absolute inspiration. Uh, What he has achieved uh, for this football club um, is difficult to put into words. Um, I think that he's he's a managerial genius, and he's a legend. Uh, Who knows where his, his career will take
5: him? I live in Wales. I used to live down here, and I'm one of the many exiles that come down, and I come quite regularly from, from mid-Wales. Oh, amazing, I was just saying that uh, the first game I I think it was that I, I saw was Boxing Day 1955 uh, against Watford, and Bournemouth won
2: 4-0. So a couple of other views from Bournemouth fans there. So Bournemouth were promoted, or were they? We were playing Charlton on the last game of the season, and they tweeted... Bournemouth celebrating like they've completely ruled out a 19 0 defeat at the Valley on Saturday? We'll see. Sam Green, an AFC Bournemouth fan, said, Love this tweet. Still can't believe we went up and stayed up. Tom Jordan tweeted, Back in 2009, Eddie said he didn't want to be the man who took us out of the Football League. Last year, he did just that. AFCB one year on. And the players, well, they had a good time, as did the chairman. <laughs> that was in the changing room after the game and this was Halo Nightclub in Bournemouth So it was certainly a very ropey Tuesday morning but the boys got back to training and then prepared for the big match on Saturday against Charlton Athletic How would it go? Well, it certainly went well on the pitch for AFCB uh,
0: We look like the home team, no doubt about
5: that
2: Cook plays it out to Daniels who's taken a position of a lovely first-time ball
0: into Pew. Pew approaching the D plays it into Kermigan back to goal 16 yards out holds it up for Ritchie off the post 1-0 Bournemouth at the valley another fantastic first-time strike from Matt Ritchie 14 league goals for the season for the Scottish international and that one as sweet as any as sweet as the goal against Bolton on Monday and Bournemouth deserved the early lead I got to 10 but lost it and Massey put the ball oh, he, he, he Now he has given it away. Arter, into the box. 2-0. Mistake made. Confusion between Tao Ben-Haim and Yoni Boyens. And Harry Arter said, thank you very much. He scores. It's two in three minutes for Bournemouth. It is easy as the fans are already chanting. It's Charlton 0, Bournemouth 2. Over- just fluffed the pass, really, but he might get it back. And now Wilson has, and then a lunging challenge from Solly. Only goes as far as Daniels. Doesn't shoot. Clever pass. Richie in the box. Gets it out from under his feet. Shoots again! Yeah! Matt Ritchie started the afternoon. He's finishing the afternoon. He punches the sky and celebrates with the Cherries fans and his players. They've got their goal in front of them, the 4,000 happy fans, and Matt Ritchie has 15 for the season.
2: So Bournemouth were leading 3-0 at the Valley doing what they had to do, but down the road at Vicarage Road, unfortunately, Sheffield Wednesday weren't quite reading the same script. Until that is... This.
0: Wednesday get an equalizer. McGuire tosses the ball in. New Year on the stretch. Here's Mello, lifts the ball high. Dini is there defending the edge of the six-yard box. Danger still not cleared. Wednesday, new you there, and Wednesday have equalized! The Wednesday fans behind the goal go absolutely bananas and that could be a real game changer as regards the championship title. That will be a goal that reverberates all the way across to the Bournemouth-Charlton game as well but Ati Nuiu on the stretch has brought Wednesday level and may well be about to deny Watford the title. Watford won.
1: Sheffield Wednesday won. Andrew Sermon, he
0: sprinted towards the goal, picked the ball out the back of the net and put it on the top, what have they they drew Adam? I think there must be a goal at Watford, Cherish fans are celebrating, we'll get news it is 1-1 at Vicarage Road what a minute in the championship season, Matt Ritchie scores and Sheffield Wednesday equalise at Vicarage Road within seconds, Bournemouth atop of the championship table with five minutes to go at the Valley
2: so that was the moment we knew that AFC Bournemouth were on top of the table, and this was the moment when the Watford Wednesday result was confirmed.
0: Roger Johnson gets it away from him, and then Smith grapples with Boyens, as Charlton with a free kick, and Bradley Johnson has a second for Norwich, it's four, and I think Sheffield Wednesday might have scored again, or it's full-time at Vicarage Road. We will find out, Ritchie with a big smile, it is full-time at Vicarage Road. between Watford and Sheffield Wednesday. And Tommy Elphick punches the sky with both hands. The Cherries are going up as champions. 3-0 leaders here. Matt Ritchie screams yes to the sky. Jan Kerminant on the sidelines. Celebrates, punches as well. Mark Hugh hugs Ryan Fraser. Bournemouth are going to go up as champions and title winners in the championship as they head to the Premier League.
2: And what a scene that was at the Valley as Bournemouth ended up championship champions. And Stu Bramley, well, he decided to sing his enjoyment by saying, Here's to you, Ate Niyuhu, Bournemouth loves you more than you all know. Whoa! And then Cameron on Twitter, who's fantastic, thought he'd do it in poetry by tweeting, Roses are red, violets are blue, Golf is Shepherd Wednesday, Ate Niyuhu. And he quoted all the hashtags there, including Watford FC, who must have been sorely disappointed. And even better, the Wednesday fans were singing our name. And what a great set of supporters they are, and we wish them all the best in the Championship playoffs. Liam Grace tweeted, boy oh boy, what I'd give to relive all this again. Well Liam, hopefully this has helped. So, what was your favourite moment? Steve Phillips said, this was my favourite moment, and he posted a video where Adam Smith was orchestrating the AFC Bournemouth crowd behind him, or was taking a video with his mobile phone. Beautiful moment, Smudger. Rob Meach said, I can't believe Charlton away was a year ago. I know we had Sheffield Wednesday to thank, but our performance that day was spectacular. Champions. And as many people were watching the Bolton match online, Joe Lockhart said, I've gone all hipster tonight and watched Charlton instead of Bolton. Forgot how good we were that day. But... Remembering the plight of our former Championship colleagues, Katie, CalamityKate67 on Twitter said, so, poor Charlton could see the Championship trophy presented on their pitch for the second year running, as Burnley could be confirming it there next weekend. But anyway, what a season it was, and what a great chance to reminisce with the well-thought-out one-year-on hashtag. And of course, a certain Leicester City avoided the drop last season, as did we this season. I wonder what happened to them.
3: Hi, this is Steve Purchase,
2: you're listening to of the Net. God, bloody windy day when I got that soundbite from Stephen Purchase, all that <laughs> with the microphone. Anyway, um, yeah, great to relive the memories, and yet that was the season that then Leicester went on to win the Premier League. But how good was it to listen to some old memories, and Eddie Howe was at the helm, and that memory will be seared and etched on my brain forever with him standing in front of the crowd at Charlton with that championship trophy. Amazing days. Oh, I love it. Well, thinking about Eddie Howe, we've spoken to some back of the net regulars to get their thoughts on the Messiah himself. Michael Dunn is coming up. But first, my co-presenter, Jeff Hayward, had these words to say.
4: Unless you're a Bournemouth fan, I think it's hard. In fact, it's impossible to understand what Eddie means to the club. Here's what I think. I think he's more than a manager, much, much more. For me, he embodies the spirit of the club, the attitude of the club, and the sense of community that we've now got. Here we are celebrating seven years since he came back from Burnley. But where did it all start? Well, Eddie was part of the 1994-95 Great Escape Squad. They achieved the impossible. What an inspiration it must have been to be there at that time to see what we achieved. We were dead and buried at Christmas with nine points. We escaped, relegation with 50 points with two games to go. He saw that. I was lucky enough to see his debut the following season when he was 18 and he came and played right back against Hull City. And what was clear right back then was just what he had. He had intelligence, he had composure, he had real talent. And you could see how important those qualities would be when he went into management. Frankly, when he got the first job, I mean, nobody else would have it. I remember thinking at the time, you know, who is going to manage a club that's on minus 17 points? Again, seemingly impossible. Okay, there weren't many choices. And I was as surprised as many fans when Eddie was given the caretaker role. But what a season that was. And then, you know, two seasons later, it was no surprise when we started our meteoric rise up the divisions that he was poached. And uh, yeah, I mean, I was gutted when he left. Um, I thought it was the end for us. And really, when I was looking at the Burnley results, I, I don't think it's—I uh, don't think it's unfair to say that I was hoping that Burnley wouldn't do that well. Not because I didn't want Eddie and Jason to succeed, but I wanted him to come back. And when he did come back, which was what 2012, there we were thinking, oh, you know, we've got another tough 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 challenge but he was fantastic he's been fantastic and I think really what what marks him out as being something different is the fact that he's a team player clearly a team player and he's got everybody pulling in the same direction from the get-go he's great with people he's got intelligence he's got talent as a coach he's a great motivator but It's about everybody. He brings everybody in. He gets everybody pulling in the same direction. And just look at some of the players he's improved. He's got people into the club. Steve Cook, Charlie Daniels, Ryan Fraser. And he's made them fantastic players. Premier League players. It's fantastic. What do I think about Eddie? I think, quite honestly, we're lucky to have him. Do I think he's going to go? Well, I don't think he will, because he's part of the town. He's embedded with us. Why would you want to leave? And I think we've still got a long way to go. Eddie's recognised the potential we've got at the club, and I think he's seen that, seen that with the resources we've now got in place, and with everybody pulling in the same direction, we've still got a long way to go. There's still a lot more that we can achieve. So, Eddie stick with us. We know you're part of us. We know you're part of the town. You're part of the community. You're part of the club. And remember, together, anything is possible. Bloody hell, Jeff! What a speech.
2: I'm going to get that weaved onto a tea towel. Loving your passion there, and yeah, don't worry, Eddie is here to stay. Um, Yeah, really great to hear from Jeff, who's going to be back on the Norwich podcast this time next week, but also back of the net regular and Mr. All Departments himself, Michael Dunn. He was doing his podcast, and well, he did so many more shows than what we've ever done, so he has seen a lot and talked a lot about Eddie Howe, but here are his thoughts on the special one.
5: Just reflecting on Eddie Howe's seven years at the club in his second spell as manager at Dean Court, I remember very clearly my son, who was five at the time, crying at the end of the game against Walsall when Paul Groves was the manager. I think it was his final home game. And me consoling him, saying, oh, don't worry about it, son, whilst inside feeling we're in real trouble here. At that particular moment, the crowd were also singing Eddie Howe's name, and it seemed implausible that, that he would return to the club. Um, Graves lost his job. A few days later, I think we had a, another depressing defeat at Crawley and he was gone. Um, and then there was a vacancy. I remember chatting to a good friend in the middle of that week and uh, him saying to me, well, who do you think is going to be the new the new Cherries manager? And we chatted about a few different names. And I said, well, I said, none of that really makes any difference to me because the only person I want to have the job is Eddie Howe and my mate said you've, you've got to let it go so, you know it's, it's not going to happen and I, and I said yeah but you don't understand because you've never been in love before <laughs> um, and then of course it did happen and the, the game against Leighton Orient Eddie wasn't officially the manager then but we won it was almost like his presence in the ground was enough and I remember saying to the same same five-year-old boy uh, once he'd wiped away his tears from the previous defeat against Walsall. Uh, Don't worry, son, everything's going to be all right now. Eddie's back and, you know, it's, it's all going to be good. And, of course, I had no idea at the time how how true that would be. And my two boys, uh, both a lot older now, both grown up in this in this land of plenty when there's been a really non-stop success and they've got no idea <laughs> really what it used to be like in the old days. Um, just thinking back over those seven years, that I mean, there's been a lot of highlights, but... I'd say the highest one for me was when we won the championship at the Valley um just the late goal at Watford and the genuine taste of glory that we'd never really had before um and I coveted that that trophy the lady the old football league trophy that they used to give to the champions of England when I was growing up I, the whole season I wanted us to I wanted us to to lift that and, and to see that happen was you know very very special indeed And, uh, well, just looking forward, I mean, we've got, you know, essentially a man who's a living legend at the club. And I think his achievements surpass those of all others who have ever been associated with AFC Bournemouth. And, you know, we should appreciate it whilst we've got it because it won't last forever. But, you know, hopefully it will last as long as possible. So, well done, Eddie. Up the cherries.
2: Cracking thoughts there from Michael. And it's a very unique situation where... I don't think there are many other clubs where all the fans sing from the same hymn sheet in terms of being so positive about their manager. Usually there are pockets of fans that are not so happy with who's in charge and the decisions that they make. Of course, Eddie is not perfect and he does make mistakes and he does get it in the neck very briefly on Twitter. But I think overall we can see the direction that we're going in is a positive direction. And I see it as a graph that's going upwards, one of those line graphs with little peaks and troughs along the way. But if you look at it and you stand back, you can see that we're going in the right direction. Now, from my point of view, I just wanted to refer back when I mean I've met Eddie a couplet, a few times, but there was one time in particular. Um, there will be maybe a few Cherries fans that were also there who are listening. Hello to you guys, uh, if you are about. But uh, I don't know whether it is due to the podcast or what, but. I was invited to go meet him um, pre-season. Was it the season before last now? I can't remember. I I did a blog post on this on my website. Yeah, season before last. And uh, the club wanted to explore ways to improve the relationship between the club and its fans as well as the methods by which the matchday atmosphere can be uh, improved as well, in order to create a better experience for fans, but also um, to give the team on the pitch a much-needed boost. Now... It's clear that Eddie Howe is the driving force behind many of the philosophies that are visible when walking around the stadium and also the training pavilion as well. Um, It's notable that he's inspired by American basketball player stroke coach turned observationalist John Wooden. Um, And he's implemented a number of psychological strategies, including uplifting wall slogans, And also you've probably seen on TV or whether you've walked down there yourself, the purposely oversized player murals in the tunnel. Lots of clubs do that now. But also in the Players' Pavilion, that wheel of misfortune uh, in the Players' Lounge, uh, that features a sort of red and black branded... Roulette-style forfeit system And that's designed to discourage player misdemeanours Ranging from lateness in training All the way through to bad parking I think, I think Lise Mousset was top of that quite a lot I well, wonder how he's doing it at Sheffield United In terms of uh, his fines that he gets But the money that was made for that Actually went to local charity um, Now it was quite clear from my visit To these different places within the club that Eddie has got an urgent yearning to ensure that the club history is conveyed to its players and its staff at every given opportunity. Now, of course, whilst fans of other clubs would probably guffaw at comparing the history of the Cherries to their own team, um, the path that we've forged is obviously rather unique. We may not be decorated with trophies. On the contrary, I mean, if you look at it over the wide span of time it's been anything but successful but of course what we do have in its locker are a number of unfortunate tales um many of which revolve around the club needing the support and money of fans in order to survive day to day i mean you've heard that on the minus 17 documentary um it's depressing but when you combine all the the events together it's uh it's a It's a tumultuous tapestry that we've wove, isn't it? And a history which no fans in their right mind would ever have believed could actually lead to top-flight football, but it has. Now, whilst we were there, we found out that um, Eddie actually plays a video that is shown to the first team every so often and also to new signings. It's a sort of emotional look back at the low points of the club uh, intertwined with some of the finer moments taken from a fan's perspective as well which provides a sort of grounding and emotional experience which, I don't know, as a long-time supporter actually sort of choked me up but as a kid, I was one of them who put my pocket money in the buckets at the Winter Gardens. Uh, I didn't get much but I mean, I whacked it in. Um, and then do you remember Trevor Watkins being on stage and sort of saying the right words, giving us some hope that we could survive as a club? Well, years later, of course, we were on the precipice again. Of course, we've all heard the story with Jeff Mostyn and uh, it's it's a very unique story. Now, from the meeting I had there, it was absolutely indisputable that there was a concern from Eddie and Jason at the Premier League um whilst it is brilliant incredible etc um it is a product whereby naturally there there is a chasm that is formed between the club and its supporters um through speaking to fans of other top flight sides obviously during the podcast i do get to speak to quite a lot of them doing preview pieces etc um i know that they absolutely despair at being regarded as customers rather than fans but chatting with the management at afcb it's clear that they're doing everything in order to bridge the divide um, um, so at this meeting that we had they asked for our opinions on what could be done to make the fans feel like a more intrinsic component in the fabric of the of the club now personally i got a bit old fashioned when i said a few responses such as um, my discord at seeing players come off coaches only to stride past the sort of kids who are gagging for autographs with these massive headphones on um Granted, it happens less at AFC Bournemouth than other teams, but I think one of the managers has actually banned it. Is it Chris Wilder for Sheffield United? I can't remember. One of the managers, or is it Sean Dyche? I can't remember. One of the old school managers has has said, like, no to that. Um, which, you know, I think is a good thing, but obviously it's a fine balance because you've got to weigh up the sort of mental state of the players. And if, they, if that's how they manage to get themselves uh, sort of, you know, motivationally ready then can you really stop that? Um, I also actually said said that whilst the club should continue its amazing work in the community, that every so often fans should be invited in to chat directly with the players, um, leaving them in no doubt as to important they are. Um, and also there are a few other things that uh, were mentioned, including improvement of the atmosphere. And in fact, the whole nonny Red Army thing that happens before a game, um, that was another thing as well that they've actually taken on board and now they do. So we're you know, really pleased to see that Eddie, is, he is in the fabric of the club. And if you see that interview he's done on AFCB TV, it was launched on Saturday. You can just see uh how much he wants it to thrive and he sort of said that in in seven years time he, he's working out his own his own age. He couldn't remember how old he was, Eddie, my goodness, scary times. Um that he wants to see the club in a successful position and you know whether he's part of that he doesn't know not through any boastful uh, thoughts of maybe joining bigger clubs etc but i think he just genuinely genuinely knows that football is such a roller coaster and there is there is no certainty in football whatsoever so um those are my thoughts on eddie anyway i think um he is a top man and we you know we've got to enjoy every single minute what we're not enjoying, though, of course, is this two-week break with no AAC Bournemouth and uh, England are playing tonight against Bulgaria and there is a certain inclusion, by the looks of it, anyway.
1: Hi, I'm Tara Mings and you are listening to Back of the Net.
2: Yeah. That man, he may be playing for England tonight, so uh, whilst he has joined another club, I think uh, many of our fans wish him well. He's no Steve Cook, however, of course, in an England shirt, we want him to perform as well as he can. So Tyrone Mings, just want to say the very best of luck. So that just about wraps up another Back of the Net podcast. Really appreciate you tuning in this week. It was a bit of a Brucey bonus for you, but it's over an hour, so hopefully that has kept you has kept you sane as we wait for next Saturday Norwich at home looking forward to that one if you check our YouTube channel later in the week we should have a preview of that including what team we hope will be put out and then I'll be doing interviews after the game as well now I will be in a different position I have been standing outside the reception but I think it's probably um, we do get in the way quite a bit and it is a it is an area where um you know there's a lot of flow through flow uh after the game so we'll try, we'll probably be to the side somewhere but if you check our socials on twitter and facebook etc i'll tell you where we are really want to have some new people uh, commenting on the game and just trying to keep our youtube channel going with lots of unique views and content so you're probably wondering about the do you remember answer from earlier It was a player that played in the Eddie Howe era, and if you uh, listen to what he said, you could tell that he's moved country. Um, Did you hear the Australian twang? Yeah, you may have. It is the one and only right back for AFC Bournemouth, Neil Young. What a guy, what a hero. Never really had a song. But that was him, currently in Australia at the moment. I think he's been over a few times, actually, to the Vitality Stadium. And uh, he, like many, is loving our Premier League status. Just want to say thank you very much for all your support. Make sure you do all the things on iTunes, like leave a review. And also share this post on social media as well. If you saw it through a tweet or a Facebook post, just you know, give it a share or a thumbs up. And we would really appreciate it. All the best, and thanks for listening to Back at the Net. The AFC Bournemouth podcast,
1: (laughs) Richie and beyond Walker.
4: football club. Sports in. Social Podcast Network.